You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Your furnace, your stove, and your fireplace could soon be inoperable due to a shortage of natural gas. Most of the supply cut off by a fiery pipeline explosion near Prince George. Take a look. This is a bird's eye view of what it looks like today. Investigators now on scene assessing the damage and attempting to determine a cause. Our Sarah McDonald is in Prince George for us tonight. Thankfully, no injuries here, Sarah, but what have you learned about what happened. Well, Sophie, we just got an update on this from RCMP. Uh, we are told that this case has now been elevated from a regional level to a provincial one. It is now in the hands of the BC RCMP. We are told that is due to the potential scope and scale of this case if that explosion is ultimately determined to be criminal. Looks like the pipeline blew up. It was an explosion unlike anything many have ever witnessed. Oh, it's big. Shared online in real time for the world to see. See my granddaughter, Emily, crying. It was really tough. But few experienced the fear and ferocity of that fast-growing fireball as Phyllis Seymour did. She and others forced to flee their First Nation reserve north of Prince George in minutes. I had a panic attack. Like I was holding my head and I, my head was just pounding and like everywhere we ran, we kept looking at the fireball like it because it wasn't going down. We now know what happened here Tuesday. The looming question is why? And we are getting a better idea of the scale of destruction caused to that natural gas pipeline and the area surrounding it. All this scorched earth and damage now in the hands of energy giant Enbridge. Our focus at this very moment is to get that pipeline back into service safely. We won't start it back up unless we can start it back up safely, but we have every resource you can imagine focused on that. Premier John Horgan also addressing the incident Wednesday, its impact now permeating the province. We're very much concerned about what happened, how it happened, and what steps we can take to make sure it doesn't happen again. So I'm thinking there's going to be a run on electric stoves and electric heaters. With those who live on the front lines of the blast, like Wendy Spragues, relieved their homes are still standing. Oh, the noise was like a... Uh and it was continual noise, the uh, burning of the gas. The jolt of that eruption also reigniting the national debate surrounding pipelines and safety. We're anxious to see what the outcome is and what the cause is, but there's no question it's created the debate about and resurrected the debate about pipelines and how safe they are. Investigators now working to determine if this was criminal or accidental. I'm actually right now scared to go walk in my door. It's aftershock hitting far too close to home for too many. All right, Sarah, you mentioned that the BCRCMP are taking over. What do we know about what is next in this investigation? Well, Sophie, we also spoke with Enbridge a few hours ago. They tell us their investigators actually haven't been able to access that scene yet due to hotspots. They also tell us they have no firm timeline when it comes to repairing that ruptured pipeline. Clearly not the news that hundreds of thousands of British Columbians were hoping to hear tonight. Though, Sophie, as you mentioned early, earlier, I should say, remarkably and most importantly, nobody was injured and no homes were damaged in that blast. Thankfully. All right. Thanks for that, Sarah. Well, as Sarah mentioned, the raptor uh, rupture could lead to a severe shortage of natural gas with one line down and the other now being checked for damage. 700,000 customers in this province and many more in Washington state could be impacted. Catherine Urquhart reports on how we're all being urged to conserve. 
At Shogun Restaurant in downtown Vancouver, natural gas is essential for cooking a variety of dishes. But following Tuesday's gas line explosion near Prince George, everyone here is being mindful of how much gas they're using. I heard the, the, my officer the news this morning. It's a big fire in the Prince George. The BC Restaurant and Food Services Association sent an advisory to all its members. Although we're not the biggest user of natural gas in the province, um, there is some strategies we can use to sort of reduce our immediate natural gas consumption. Impacted by the explosion are the main lines that serve customers in Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island. We're asking everyone to reduce their use of natural gas, so turn down your thermostat as low as possible, restrict the use of hot water from your natural gas water tank, and minimize the use of cooktops and turn off your fireplaces. So far, conservation has helped reduce consumption by 20%. Similar efforts underway south of the border, as the damaged pipeline connects to the Northwest Pipeline System, feeding Puget Sound Energy and Northwest Natural Gas. We're working with all of the pipeline operators and all of the utilities up and down the I-5 corridor to understand just where we're at from a load prediction and what we think we um, have available to us and when, and when we're going to be able to bring everybody back uh, to, to full usage reliably. Back in B.C., the explosion is also impacting sawmill and pulp operations, including ones in Prince George, Quinell and Mackenzie. And while so many are conserving energy, TransLink isn't. It's buses that use compressed natural gas operating as usual. TransLink calling the service essential. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. What began as a routine traffic stop in Vancouver's downtown core turned into a brawl that seriously injured one officer and eventually led to the arrest of three men. Much of the drama was caught on video, including the moment one of the suspects tried to flee and was hit by a truck. And while it is shocking, we want to say off the top, that man was not seriously injured. Rumina Dea reports. What are you doing? Get off my friend! A routine traffic stop erupts in violence in downtown Vancouver. An officer with the Vancouver Police Department was sent to hospital Tuesday night with significant injuries. Before 10 p.m. Tuesday, police say two plainclothes officers stop an SUV after it spotted driving through a restricted section of Granville Street. The officers became concerned for their safety as the occupants refused to follow police direction and began reaching under the seat. When one officer opened the passenger door, the front passenger pulled him into the vehicle and two men began to punch him repeatedly in the face and head area. While the officers wait for backup, one of the suspects takes off on foot. Bystanders shocked by what happens next. The man gets hit by a pickup truck. Incredibly, he gets up and starts running away again. The witness who shot the video rushes to help. He can be heard questioning police during the takedown. That dude kicked him in the stomach pretty hard for no reason. He severely assaulted no, he my partner. I've seen what and happened. He's, he's I've seen what happened. These officers were defending themselves during a routine traffic stop. And this stop turned... Uh, very violent, very quick. Three men in their 20s are facing multiple charges, including assaulting a police officer causing bodily harm. They remain in custody, all three 
well known to police. What are you doing? The officer has been released from hospital and he's recovering at home. Romina Dea, Global News. We're digging a little deeper into a barge fire on the Fraser River and what caused it. It broke out late yesterday afternoon in pretty much the same place where the same company had a major fire last August. Grace Key now with more on how that company is responding tonight and concerns about possible environmental damage. This is the second barge fire in the past two months from the same company, Schnitzer Steel. The latest fire broke out shortly before 5 p.m. on Tuesday near the Batullo Bridge. Both the Surrey and Vancouver Fire Departments were called in to assist with the Vancouver Fireboat battling the blaze on the water. A tough fire because of uh, how the material was laid out and void spaces and a tough fire because, uh, because of what was burning, metals and, and stuff slated for recycling. The first barge fire happened back in August at the same location. In both cases, the barge was loaded with crushed cars that the company says were drained of fluids and properly processed for end of life. It also had light irons, such as washers and dryers. The Coast Guard monitored for potential pollution, but says it doesn't appear much debris entered the water. And the August fire, health officials issued an air quality advisory that wasn't necessary in the latest incident. The August barge fire, uh, it was almost a perfect storm of events. So the fire occurred early in the morning when winds were calm and the smoke built up uh, in combination with the wildfire events that were occurring as well. This time around with the barge fire that occurred, um, we didn't have those factors. According to Schnitzer Steel, the August fire was determined inconclusive after an internal investigation. Transport Canada Marine Safety and WorkSafe BC are also looking into the incidents. The cause of the latest fire has yet to be determined. A company statement reads, they are reviewing yesterday's events in an effort to determine the cause of the fire and will make any necessary adjustments to policies or procedures to reduce risk in the future as needed. There were no injuries and no one was on the barge at the time. Grace Key, Global News. A search for a missing plane last month has led to the discovery of a plane not seen since 1987. Pilot Ernie Whitehead and passenger Len Dykeisen, both of Eagle Bay, B.C., took off for a fishing trip June 20th, 1987, heading for McDougal Lake. But their White Piper Super Club disappeared. 30 years later, crews conducting a search last month for a plane missing from Stony Plain, Alberta, found the historic wreckage near Coastal Lake in Wells Gray Provincial Park. Crews have tried to reach the crash site but have been hampered by bad weather. The families of the two men have been notified and are asking for privacy. The authors of a new study on road safety are calling on the province to roll back speed limit increases. Their report shows higher speed limits are linked to a spike in crashes, injuries and fatalities. Kylie Stanton has a closer look at the evidence. With speed limits of 120 kilometers per hour, BC roads are the fastest in Canada. But now, more than four years after the increase took effect, new research shows there could be some serious consequences. What we've seen is, is an increase in severity of, of crashes and frequency of crashes. 
The study, conducted by an ER doctor at Vancouver General Hospital and road safety engineers from UBC Okanagan, found that since July 2014, the number of fatal crashes has more than doubled on those roads where the speed limit was raised. With that came a 43% increase in insurance claims and a 30% bump in injury claims. The intention was to improve safety uh, in that objective. If you look at the big picture of crashes and fatalities, people's lives, it was unsuccessful. At the time, there was a lot of controversy around the former government's plan to increase the speed limits on rural highways. So today, I'm pleased to announce that uh, the new maximum speed limit in British Columbia will be 120 kilometers per hour. But now, with years of data to consider, the new government is reviewing its own statistics and says it's possible some speed limits will be rolled back. My staff at the moment are, are working through finalizing that, uh, obviously looking at what comes from the academic study too, and uh, we'll be announcing shortly uh, any changes that have come from our study. The organization Safety by Education, Not Speed Enforcement, believes reducing speed on even more stretches would be a step back. It takes issue with the study's findings and says drivers' actual speeds, as well as weather, need to be considered before any decisions are made. A lower speed limit isn't necessarily good, and slower speeds aren't necessarily good. It's a trade-off between a safe and an efficient transportation system, and we can have both. In response to the findings of a 2016 government review, two sections of road on Highway 1 from Hope to Cache Creek and Highway 5A from Princeton to Merritt have already seen the speed limits decreased. What could be a sign of things to come? Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, the Premier dropping some broad hints today that speed limits might be coming down. Yeah, you heard uh, Highways Minister Claire Trevena in Kylie's story talk about their, she's going to go away with her staff and study it. But I thought it was uh, interesting to show everybody tonight uh, a more personal comment, I think, from Premier John Horgan. And generally, when premiers talk outside the box, you know something's up. Uh, he's clearly taken aback by what the, this study had, to, uh, had found. Uh, here's his encounter with reporters today. I was shocked to see, I, I've been, you know, news coverage of accidents, uh, we see that as individuals in our homes all the time, but the, the, the increase in fatalities in areas where the speed limits were increased uh, shocked me, quite frankly, and uh, we're going to take a good hard look at that. So one thing I learned covering John Horgan over the years, uh, Chris, is that when he talks like this, he generally speaks from the heart, and it does usually lead to some concrete action. So I don't think legislation is required. I think Claire Trevena, my reader of the Motor Vehicle Act, she can change this just by post uh, an order requiring the, the signs. Literally, highway signs have to be changed. And the other thing driving this, any, any move to reduce accident costs is going to help ICBC, and that's something the NDP government is very interested in. So look for those limits to come down. Desperate for some cost-cutting over there. All right, thanks very much for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Well, the provincial government has decided against a controversial move to expand the list of who is eligible for veterans' license plates. Nearly 4,400 people took part in a public consultation process to look at the issue. The Royal Canadian Legion had asked the province to consider allowing retired RCMP members to also be eligible for the special plates. And, and so to have someone else using our plates to represent their service is just unacceptable. If you have military service, you're certainly entitled to a BC Veterans License Plate. The province was also looking at a special license plate for first responders, but for now have ruled that out as well.
The civic election is fast approaching. It's October 20th, so mark it on your calendar. And like a lot of communities, Burnaby is wrestling with population density and affordable housing. Major challenges for the city's mayoral candidates. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, for the first time in two decades, it's an issue that might unseat the region's longest-serving mayor. Another three-story walk-up reduced to rubble, replaced by bigger and more expensive housing options. Affordability, a key issue for many voters in Burnaby. The next building is already demolished, so we don't know where to go. Housing. Yeah. My building's coming down next, so... Demovictions have proven to be the issue that current five-term Mayor Derek Corrigan might be vulnerable on. 700 units, mostly around Metrotown, have given way. Community activists are confident it's an issue the challenger, Mike Hurley, can take advantage of. It's kind of like there's a housing crisis in the background everywhere, and Burnaby is, is throwing gasoline on the fire. There are plenty of other issues on the table. Public safety was top of mind at a weekend debate at Crystal Mall. Marissa Shen's murder in Central Park has prompted calls for more cops and better surveillance. The Kinder Morgan pipeline has also been top of mind. We don't want the pipeline here. That's my worst fear is to have it here. Transit and transportation are important to the business community. Many looking for better options to move goods and people. Affordability remains the biggest issue regionally and locally. It's affordability not just in housing, it's affordability in, in taxation, it's affordability in the costs of doing business, which apply to businesses across the region. A recent poll commissioned by supporters of Hurley put the two men neck and neck with 10 days to go before election night. The incumbent party currently holds all eight seats plus the mayor's chair. Whether the independent can capitalize on demands for change will come down to voter turnout. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, for more on what the Burnaby mayoral candidates have to say about some of the key issues affecting their city, just log on to our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. Right now, though, our story last night of a woman who's being deported back to her native Cameroon is focusing some new attention on rejected refugee claimants who take sanctuary in churches to avoid arrest. Nadia Stewart reports on why it still happens, even though it has no basis in Canadian law. For Reverend Dr. Stephen Epperson, it was an easy decision, opening the doors of Vancouver's Unitarian Church to shelter a refugee fighting a deportation order, something the church has never done before. Religious organizations um, frequently operate according to values of extending hospitality to strangers, to aliens, to refugees. It seemed like a perfectly natural, fitting and appropriate thing to do. The long-held tradition of religious institutions providing a safe space for someone denied legal stay in Canada has always been deeply rooted in faith-based values. It's also deeply controversial, illegal yet ethical. CBSA has the legal obligation to remove them from the country as rapidly as possible. They, they do that, though, in a, in a conscientious, respectful manner, uh, and uh, they have uh, not historically uh, intruded upon religious facilities. In Canada, governments have been leery of breaking this unwritten law. Whether you're a king, a ruler, or a government, if you exercise your legal authority, you're going to pay a political price of an unpopularity. There are no known statistics of the number of sanctuary cases in Canada. Kurland estimates there are a couple dozen a year. At times it was lonely. After 
spending two years inside a Langley church, Jose Figueroa walked free in December 2015. Though the fight continues to clear his name of allegations, he was part of a terrorist organization in his native El Salvador. He says sanctuary should always be sacred. The moment that the, the government starts trying to re regulate on it, I think that uh, then it, it just becomes one of those other laws. I think that it should be left alone, yeah. Everson says his church's recent experience had an impact on the congregation and on him. We need to extend, you know, a special measure of support and patience um, while we try to help folks get back on their feet as best they can. Um, it's been a reaffirmation for me. Nadia Stork, Global News. Hotel guests and staff in Panama City, Florida, huddle inside a lobby as Hurricane Michael rips away the awning cover over the front entrance. Michael hit the state earlier today with devastating winds and a 2.5-meter storm surge. At Category 4, Michael is the strongest storm ever to hit the Florida coast with sustained winds up to 250 kilometers an hour. And still, forecasters say Michael is going to keep a lot of its strength as it heads inland. Tonight, Hurricane Michael is on the move. After slamming into the Florida Panhandle, the most powerful storm on record to make landfall here. In Mexico Beach, Florida, destruction. Homes submerged and in pieces. Streets like rivers. Nearby Panama City Beach, a house ripped apart by the hurricane force winds. Windows shattered, buildings collapsed, and boats overturned. Communities are going to see unimaginable devastation. Michael rapidly intensified overnight into a monster Category 4 hurricane, eventually reaching sustained winds of 155 miles per hour. This used to be my back porch. The wind and water so powerful, they trapped a storm chaser. Alabama and Georgia also under states of emergency. The ominous eye clearly visible from the space station. In Apalachicola, Florida, the rain began overnight as Michael's outer bands battered the Gulf Coast. By dawn, the wind and the rain picked up and the water started to rise, forcing us to move to higher ground. A massive storm surge flooded part of this historic downtown. How would you describe this? It's catastrophic. Yeah. I mean, we were looking at some heavier, you know, some stronger winds, which we didn't get. But still, it was enough to do the damage like you see right here. And this is uh, replicated across the county. And plus, some of the roads that are underwater now, we don't know what kind of damage we're going to have when the water recedes. Hundreds of thousands of people in Florida ordered to evacuate. We all knew this time was coming. The storm is upon us. There is nothing else to be gained by leaving where you are. You need to shelter in place. Beverly Giddens has lived here 35 years. I've never been in one like this. I was here during Dennis, and uh, that was scary enough, but this was, this was pretty awesome. She and so many others along the Gulf Coast now just beginning to assess Michael's fury. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Apalachicola, Florida. Terrifying for a lot of people. Kasia Badurka joins us now with a closer look at the path of this monster hurricane. And thankfully, it's already starting to break down a little bit, at least, Kasia. Yeah, and you can really see this, Chris. Uh, the eye of the storm here, as it fills in, that is actually indicative of the storm weakening. So now it is a Category 1 hurricane. Winds in excess of 150 kilometers per hour still. And it is expected to further weaken into tropical storm status. Still, it will be dropping hundreds of millimeters of rain 
over uh, Georgia as well as the Carolinas and still winds will be in excess of 100 kilometers per hour. So definitely one for the records. This is one uh, devastating storm. This a look at the eye of the storm earlier from space, a satellite uh, image from NASA. Look at how pronounced the eye of the storm is. And it's in the eye wall where you're seeing the most intense weather, the most strong winds, heaviest downpours. This was taken earlier from the eye wall of the storm from a storm chaser friend of mine earlier today. So definitely a big one that will continue to follow. Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Kasia. Incredible video. Mm -hmm. A BC researcher is giving us more insight into that troubling new report that says the world has just 12 years to avoid the catastrophic consequences of climate change, such as more extreme weather. Simon Fraser University's Kristen Zickfield was one of the lead authors of that study. And tonight she tells our Linda Aylesworth that we have the tools to do it. We just need the political will. Three years ago, many of the world's nations signed the Paris Agreement, committing to limit global warming to no more than two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. But already, we're one degree above. Look at that. We're already witnessing many, many impacts. Here in Canada, we see more frequent heat waves. We see, um, we see heavy rainfall. We see forest fires. Dr. Kirsten Zickfeld is one of the lead authors of a UN report on the Paris Agreement, which examines whether the goals are aggressive enough. The findings? It shows um, very clear benefits from limiting warming to 1.5 as opposed to 2 degrees. Can we achieve that goal? Yes, but... We only have um, very few years to turn things around. So the report says that we have to go, sort of we, the world has to be carbon neutral by 2050. The report also recommends that instead of reducing carbon emissions 30% by 2030, they should be reduced by 45%, a challenge for Canada considering it was struggling to achieve the original goal. There is no room for additional fossil fuel projects, so we really cannot get there if we keep building pipelines and LNG facilities. Instead, the report recommends that governments invest in renewable energy technology. It even gives world leaders a clear blueprint on how to live up to their commitments. What is lacking is, is political leadership. So we um, really need um, policymakers to, um, to take this seriously and understand the urgency. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Torrential rain and flash flooding on the Spanish island of Mallorca have killed at least 10 people. Some parts of the island were hit with up to 230 millimeters of rain in just four hours. Rivers burst their banks, sweeping away cars and trucks and inundating homes. The water has since receded, leaving a muddy mess behind. The owner of the limo company involved in that deadly crash in New York is now facing criminal charges. Prestige limousine operator Noman Hussein was arrested at a traffic stop and charged with criminally negligent homicide in the crash that killed 20 people. State officials say the company has a long list of safety violations and that the limo that crashed was declared unserviceable last month. The owner's lawyer says his client is innocent and prosecutors are rushing to judgment. 
And the owner of the Alberta Trucking Company involved in the tragic Humboldt Broncos bus crash has been charged. Sukhmander Singh of Adeshti Old Trucking faces eight charges of non-compliance with federal and provincial safety regulations in connection with the crash that killed 16 people. The driver of the truck was charged earlier this year with dangerous driving causing death. Caught on video, an ugly scene in the Ontario community of Markham, north of Toronto. An elderly crossing guard arrested by police after he says he simply tried to make an off-duty cop slow down. Let go of him! Let go of him right now! A crossing guard held against his will outside a Markham Elementary School by an off-duty Toronto police officer. And it's all captured on iPhone video. This is police abuse. This is what they talk about. 70-year-old Mohammed Hamid, in his fourth year on the job, says he was just trying to protect the children as they arrived for school. Even after putting the signal down, that vehicle was going. Again, I banged on the vehicle to stop because children are crossing there in front. But nothing happens. He was telling me that, right? I'm a police officer. You are a crossing guard. How can you stop me? He grabbed me, pulled my collar up and tore my vest off. It was all there on the road. Then he, he just pushed me across the road. Witnesses 8 a.m. Tuesday included Hamid's own daughter, who had just dropped her children off at school. She says the off-duty officer detained her father for about 15 minutes until police showed up. When our officers arrived, uh, the initial information that they had was that uh, a mischief had taken place and that that person was responsible for the mischief. Um, so they arrested that individual and took him into custody. His daughter repeatedly asked. You're handcuffing him without even talking to us, without asking any questions. Um, but I guess that's just how police work. The elderly crossing guard says he became so distressed during the incident, he passed out in the back of the cruiser after requests for water went unanswered. He's, he's not conscious. Mohammed, affectionately called Mo by the hundreds of students he's come to know, was later released without being charged. He says he will be back to work once he's been cleared by his doctor. But he hopes police will answer one question for him. I like to know what I did wrong from before. They, I, they don't like a react to that, right? They were not telling anything. Karen Lieberman, Global News. At this point, York Regional Police are only saying that they are investigating the incident. In Health Matters tonight, a prominent maker of sparkling water is disputing a lawsuit that accuses it of misleading customers. The suit alleges that while LaCroix claims its water is all natural, it actually contains non-natural flavorings and synthetic compounds. The company says the allegations are misleading and insists that all ingredients in its water are natural. <laughs> yeah, try. Just try. How a squirrel ended up delaying a U.S. flight right after the forecast. Very ambitious. Wow. Normal squirrel wanted to be a flying squirrel. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll figure that out uh, in a moment. Right now, though, Cash is on standby with what's going on around here. Another beautiful fall day today. Yeah, I don't have flying squirrels, but beautiful cloudy. Well, just a few clouds in the sky. It's been a fair weather day for the past several days. Just a beauty of a one. Right now, we're looking at 12 degrees. Today's high was at 14. A very similar day in store for tomorrow for us. A very different picture for our friends to the north, though. We're starting to see the clouds on the increase, and then the rain will be pushing in through the overnight hours. I'll show you that in a second. Everybody else enjoying a ridge of high pressure. That's deflecting all the active weather from moving in. However, along the jet stream, 
This Pacific front is, uh, is riding it, so eventually it will be sliding south. And through the overnight, we are expecting those showers. But first to the BC piece, a wind chill of minus 12 through the overnight hours. Tomorrow, a rain-snow mix, or sorry, that's on Friday that you do have a rain-snow snow mix in that area. Whitehorse, just a chance of wet snow, sun and clouds in the forecast as well. Along the north coast, this is where we are being pummeled with the rain, 15 to 25 millimeters possible. But it's very quick, and then by Friday, we clear out in plenty of sunshine. The caribou in the central interior will start to see the showers begin near noon, and then Friday, a sun-cloud mix. Beautiful weather for everybody across the southern half of the province. You'll notice that through the Thompson and the Okanagan, just a risk of frost through the overnight tonight, by the way. Temperatures are nearing that freezing mark. Whistler, morning fog patches. We've been seeing that for some time. Same thing goes for you up and down the island. But look at this forecast. Sun and clouds, plenty of sunshine. Now, the one place where we could be seeing some cloud cover is our Friday as a result of that system to the north of us. But temperatures right around where they should be. Pretty solid forecast. Today's weather window. It's very summer-like out there, says Jean Fontaine uh, Dudney earlier today. That's Ellie the dog having a, a nice run along the beach there. Wow. Yeah, like so vacation. nice. Nice when you have the beach to yourself okay. and your dog. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Kasia. Well, a Frontier Airlines flight from Orlando, Florida to Cleveland was delayed by a dispute over an emotional support animal. That animal was a squirrel named Daisy. The airline says the woman had indicated in her reservation that she was bringing an emotional support animal, but made no mention it being a squirrel. The airline says rodents aren't allowed on flights no matter what, and when she refused to leave, police were called and she and Daisy were escorted off the plane to a combination of applause oh and booze. <laughs> oh. Wait, were there like five armed people surrounding the woman like with it. the squirrel. You never know. Yeah, a little over. What little the squirrel's going to be up to. It's exactly true. Squirrels in a plane, not as good as snakes on a plane. I think he must have retired from water skiing. Was <laughs> that what happened? Eat all the, eat all well, the peanuts the, that they give you. But the thing is, that's just it. Most airlines don't allow nuts anymore. So. Michael trying to throw a wrench in the Canucks' plans. Mm. But he failed. The Canucks beat the hurricane. They didn't beat the Hurricanes last night, but they beat the Hurricane today. Uh, they had a bumpy flight, though, in the Tampa Bay because of Hurricane Michael, but they are in Florida safely, and they'll be playing the Lightning tomorrow, which could be equally as bumpy a game if the uh, Canucks defense continues to struggle like it did last night in Carolina and back on Saturday in Calgary. I don't usually do video breakdowns, but the third goal last night by the Hurricanes shows just how discombobulated the Canucks defense can become. Watch this goal and watch what happens. Both Derek Pouliot and Eric Branson end up behind the net with no Hurricanes there. Take another look. How do two defensemen get behind the net by themselves? I think Branson should have stayed in the middle. That might have helped things. Okay, other guys didn't back check as well, but that was weird. Speaking of weird, it still seems weird. This was last year's Stanley Cup final, Washington and Vegas. William McCary is a big hit there on Brooks Orpik, who had to go to the room for a while. Uh, first goal of this game, power play for the Caps late in the first period. Kuznetsov gets in front. Backstrom finds him. 1-0. Ovechkin has a goal as well. It's now 2-1 in the second period. Okay, Brady Kachuk, right there, number seven. His dad and his brother both scored their first ever NHL goals against the Philadelphia Flyers. And tonight, 
Brady Kachuk scored his first ever NHL goal against the Philadelphia Flyers. Although, not spectacular, went off his foot here. But watch the ref. Hey, uh, kid, here's your puck for your first ever goal. There you go. There you go, right there. Well, his buddy knows it's there. But he'll get another one. This one looks a lot better. But that's weird. All three members of the Kachuk family, dad and the two boys, all scored their first goals against the Flyers, although Philadelphia is leading 4-3 early in the third period. One of the big reasons the BC Lions are sitting in a playoff spot right now is the play of their defense. And remember, this defense has been playing well without linebacker Solomon Alamimian, although he should be back soon. One of the newcomers in the defense, they acquired him in a trade in May, was recognized today with one of the Performer of the Week honors, defensive lineman Devon Coleman, who did something extremely rare for a defensive lineman against the Argos last Saturday. And is that pass picked off? Yep. And defensive tackle Devon Coleman comes up with it. Devon Coleman has been making his presence felt for the BC Lions during their stretch of four wins in the last five games. Against the Argos, he had not one, but two interceptions. It's impressive stuff for a defensive lineman playing a position where getting after the quarterback is job number one. It's Devon Coleman again. It's a little different. I mean, I, I give all praise to God. I mean, I, I did my job, I gave my hand up, and honestly, the first one I caught, it was a tip pass and I caught it, but the second one, that was God. <laughs> that literally tipped and it just fell down right in my hands. And I, I jump in DB drills here and I do play with the ball here and there, so I am familiar with it. Coleman is part of a Lions defensive unit that is either at or near the top of every key defensive category. The Lions lead the CFL in picks, have knocked down the second most passes, and are third in quarterback sacks. Long story short, the reason this team is winning football games of late is because the D is bringing it game in and game out. And it's four interceptions in the game. I mean, just put it on ourselves. Like, up front, you know, I can't speak for, you know, other position groups, but up front, we take pride in what we do, and we want to line up on the field and show that, you know, we're the best defensive line in the league. And I feel like uh, throughout, thus far, we've been showing that. The Whitecaps have three games left, only two at home next Wednesday against Kansas City and October 28th against Portland. And if they do not make the playoffs, and they're not in a playoff position right now, that game against Portland will be the last home game for Alfonso Davies before he goes to Germany. Because he's not playing next Wednesday. He'll be with Canada's national team against Dominica. The MLS insists on playing league games during the weeks where international games are scheduled. So in that game next Wednesday, Vancouver could be down seven players. And this is a big game for their playoff chances. Kendall Waston will be out. Russell Tybert, Ali Gazal, and Jordy Reyna to name a few. I think there needs to be, uh, it needs to be talked about for sure. We, um, the fans deserve the, 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 the top players to be on the field at all, all times. Um, and uh, unfortunately this week, we, the, both squads will have a number of players missing. It's, it's been going like this for years and uh, you know, it's been the debate in the, in, in the locker rooms between players. For example, we want to be in a position to play in the playoffs and we're missing you know, five, six you know, players. Uh, it's hurting. Right now for us, it's, it's affecting us and uh, we wish it, we, we didn't have to deal with that. We gave the coach a B when he should have had a P, Del Rimple. I noticed that. I noticed that, too. you did, too. Yeah. Thanks very go. much. Coming up on ET Canada, Taylor Swift makes history and gets political again, plus the new project from the Scott Brothers that will inspire your kids. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour, but for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl.
A Calgary man is celebrating after growing what is unofficially the largest pumpkin ever grown in Canada. Global's Gil Tucker tells us why he won't be in the record books and why he says BC's wildfires might have cost him a world record. Wow. Everything Eddie Sachkowski grows is on a grand scale. 917 pounds. Almost two decades he's been doing this, always searching for the secrets of sprouting the supersized. Bringing them every fall here to the Bluegrass Garden Center. Pumpkins with a purpose. Over $260,000 we've raised for the Children's Hospital over the years by dropping pumpkins on cars. A carpenter with a passion for pumpkins. 1,157 pounds. And now something beyond his wildest dreams. 2,255 pounds. It is the biggest one ever grown in Canada. It's awesome. We had days of over 60 pounds in a 24-hour period that this thing gained. But in the official record books, out of bounds on a technicality. There was a hole about the size of a knitting needle. That's what disqualified it. Wow. Or we would have given the world record a run. Wow. 2,624 pounds was grown in Belgium three years ago. We were on track to beat it. Until we got hit by that smoky summer. We ran into a snag when all the forest fires hit. Oh, it took away the sun. We were running at 40 pounds a day and it dropped to six. But still getting pumpkin people pretty pumped. We already have a waiting list of people that want these seeds for anywhere from England to New Zealand to Australia. Eddie keeping his fingers crossed that next year he won't get smoked out of that potential world record. Oh yeah, we're going to come back. It's going to be bigger. Gil Tucker, Global News. <laughs> Size of a couch, that one. Yeah, that's a lot of pumpkin pie. Why can't you just make a bunch of pumpkin pie out of it? You sure Waste. could. When it gets to be that big, does it still taste good? I don't know. I don't know. A little Kinda woody. watery. Yeah. <laughs> Smoky. I don't Smoky know. in this case, for sure. Last word on weather before we go. All right. Plenty of sunshine. Friday, the possibility of more clouds in the mix. Slight chance of a shower, but otherwise, temperatures right around where they should be. It's gorgeous. Look at that weekend. Huh? It's pretty good from You're here, welcome. doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Have a good night.